All right, everyone. As you, uh, that's a lot of legs shaking out there. As you start to find your way back to your seat, um, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. What a special day today is, isn't it? Um, if you're a dad, if you're a father, um, why don't you go ahead and stand up where you are? We want to we wanna honor you. We want to pray for you. So all the dads, stand up, please. So now, remain standing. You, you sat down enough on your drive, sir. You can, you can stand. <laughs> so um, first, this is what we're going to do. I want to pray for all of you dads. Um, then we're going to pray for our time together, and then uh, we'll get started. So if you would just, where you're, where you're standing or sitting, if you would just bow your heads. If you're sitting next to a dad, just place your hand upon them. Let's pray over them. Uh, Father God, Lord, we just come before you. We love you, God. We just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for, for your holiness. We thank you for just the awesome gifts that you've given us. Um, God, right now I come before you and I just lift up all these dads here today. Um, God, the, the father is, he plays such an important role in, in the house, in the family, as, as husband and his father. He has such an important role. So God, I pray for all these men. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with, their, with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that they would lead their families well and that they would continually point their families toward you, towards, towards you, Jesus, and towards the cross. So Father, I, I pray that you would strengthen them. I, I pray that you would help them do the hard things that are, are sometimes placed before them. God, I just, I just thank you for these men, Lord. I, I pray that they would be honored today. Uh, God, I pray that you would go with us or go before us during our time of study in your word. Uh, Father, I pray that, first of all, that you would just completely set me aside. Um, Father, I am nothing more than your vessel. And, and I just pray that I would be filled with your Holy Spirit and that you would just, uh, use, your, just use me, use your servant to, to speak to your people, God. Um, Father, I pray for all the hearts that are here today. God, I, I, I pray for hardened hearts to be softened. I, I, I pray for, for ears to hear. And, and I pray that, that your word, God, would just ring true, would just ring true in our hearts. I pray for salvation. I pray for recommitment from our people here today. Um, God, we just, we love you and we glorify you and we honor you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So, in case you don't know me, um, my name is Sean. I am one of the, uh, the deacons here. I am also the, the youth leader, and I sometimes help with, um, with member care and teach some of the classes. Um, I know we, we, we've taught a members class and baptism class. My wife and I just finished teaching a, a marriage class, and that was really awesome. I see some of, my, some of the alumni in here today, so welcome. Um, so today will be a, a, a little bit different. I know we're, we're, taking, um, we're taking a break from the study that we've been in, and we are looking at the, um, at the Beatitudes in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to be looking at the second Beatitude today, which is those who mourn. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your, your devices and you want to load up your Bible app, we're going to be looking at, at Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. And then we'll also be looking at a half a dozen other verses, so try to, try to learn to flip through your Bible a little bit so you can keep up. So Matthew 5, verse 4, this is Jesus speaking. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's, it's a 10-word verse. 
It's a short verse. So when I first heard that I was going to be preaching over this verse, I was, I was really nervous. I was thinking, how can I do a 45-minute sermon over 10 words? And then the more I started to study it, the more I read it, um, I realized, how can I keep this sermon to just 45 minutes? Because there's so much um, information out there. There's so much that can be talked about. And these, these might only be 10 words, but they were 10 words that are said by the creator of the universe. Just think about that. Think about what he can do with just a few words. And, and this is 10 of them. So last week, uh, Pastor Marco did a great job setting the scene for the Beatitudes. In case you missed it, uh, this is where we're at. So at this point in history, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. Um, He has already endured 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, and he has now began his ministry. Uh, Jesus has started to gather his disciples, and he is teaching throughout the area of Galilee. So here, these Beatitudes, what they are, they're eight blessings that Jesus gave at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, which is his first recorded public teaching to the masses. Now, everything the world teaches opposes this principle that's taught by Christ. The world tells us, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Christ, Christ links comfort to mourning. Comfort to mourning. Now, the concept of mourning is really uncomfortable to most of us. I know it's uncomfortable to me. I mean, it's not something we think about. It's not something that we really want to go through, but it's an, it's the, an essential part of the Christian walk that we go through mourning from time to time, and we'll, we'll start to discuss that. Now, the word, um, the word used for mourn here in Matthew, um, it's the strongest word for it in the Greek language. That word is pentheo. Pentheo. I hope I'm saying that right. My wife will correct me later if I'm saying it wrong. Pentheo. So that is the strongest word for mourn in the Greek language. Now, what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at, um, first, we're going to look at two concepts of what it means to mourn. Okay, first, we're going to look at the mourning for others. And then we're going to look at the mourning for sin. Mourning for others, mourning for our sin. Two concepts we're going to look at. So first, let's start with the mourning for others. And here in this category of mourning for others, there's just three, three different types that we're going to look at. First, we're going to look at the loss, um, mourning for others, mourning the loss of a loved one, or mourning the loss of an opportunity. Now, when it comes to the mourning the loss of a loved one, um, Back in January of this year, just a few months ago, I, I, lost my, I lost my grandfather. And so that was a really difficult time for me. Um, just growing up as a child, I, I grew up in a broken home. Uh, my, my father left when I was really young. And so my grandfather was, was a replacement. And so my grandfather taught me a lot of those things as a child that a father should teach his son. Um, he taught me, he taught me to, to respect my mother and, and to, how to treat women. Um, he, he taught me the importance of reading scripture. He taught me how to hunt, how to fish, how to weld, just how to do a lot of those, those manly things, that, that those, uh, those skills that we want to have. I learned all these things from my grandfather. He taught me how to box. I mean, he taught me so many things. He, um, for me, he, I, I held him up on a, on a pedestal. 
and I just had an incredible love for my grandfather. And so when I lost him this year, I, I mourned for him. I was, I was devastated. I knew it was coming because he was getting up there in age, and so I knew it was going to happen, but I just I really wasn't ready for it. But I think what I mourned the most was that when he passed, I didn't know where he went. Let me explain. So my, my grandfather um, has been a member of, um, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for probably 50 years. So he, my grandfather's Mormon. Now, the Jesus of the, the Church of Mormon is not the same Jesus that created the universe. He's not the same Jesus that we know and that we worship and that we call Lord and Savior and Redeemer. He's different. And so every time I went to go visit my grandfather, when we would make that trek over there to go spend time with him, I would make sure that I had that alone time with him so that I could witness to him, so that I could tell him, hey, I I know that you are really involved over here, and that's great, and you've got a lot of of friends, and man, I I don't know if you've known a lot of Mormon families, but man, they are are really good people, and they, they make specific time to spend together with family, and they love one another, and they help each other in a community, Um, And I told him, hey, all that's great, but you need to know the most important part, and that's who Jesus is. And he needs to be that that Lord and Savior in your heart. And so I, every time we got together, every time we went to go visit him, he lived in Arizona, so I mean, it was a 24-hour drive. It was 1,000 miles to to go over there, so it was kind of tough. But every time we went, I made sure to to do that. And he would listen to what I had to say and kind of shake and and nod his head, and that's, that's all I got. So I don't really know if, if, he, if he took Christ into his heart. And so that was the hardest part for me. That was, that was my mourning of, of, of that loss of, of my grandfather, mourning his death. Um, now, I'll tell you, I didn't mourn the opportunity, though, because I did share Christ with him. I made sure that every time we were together, I took that opportunity to share Christ. So I would encourage you, if you have family, if you have loved ones that you know don't know Christ, don't miss that opportunity. Uh, would, you, would you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Take that opportunity to, to share with, with your family because you might not get another chance and we don't want to mourn the loss of that opportunity. So the second thing here in mourning for others, mourning the sin state of this world. Um, as a Christian, the sin state of this world, it, it, should, bring, um, it should bring brokenness into our hearts. Now, what do I mean about the sin state? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list a couple of things that, that talk about the sin state of the world, but I am not even scratching the surface. Um, the first would be the prevalence of abortion in our country. Um, over 50 million abortions have been performed since 1970 here in, in our country. Now, those are only abortions that were actually reported to the CDC, and that's only up to I believe 2015, so we're still missing a few years. So 50 million is a lot. That's an incredible amount of of just tiny, innocent little lives that have been lost. Um, The prevalence of abortion in our country is is, is just, it's one of those things that that just brings me to tears when I I think about it and when I just think of the the deep-rooted sin state that that we live in. Um, You you know, there's there's over a million that are performed every year, so it's it's, it's definitely something that we should be mourning about, that we should be in prayer for. Um, The next would be violence and hatred towards strangers. I mean, this could take its, its, its form in many shapes. I mean, from bullying to mass shootings to bombings, and these are all things that happen here in our country. 
Um, and, and I'll tell you, it's, it's not a gun issue, it's a heart issue. And it's something that starts in the home. As fathers, we need to be shepherds, uh, we need to shepherd our families. Uh, we must see a family reformation before we'll see one in society. So this change, if we want to see this change of this just, just unexplicable violence towards strangers, we need to see that change in our home. How are we treating our sons? How are we treating our daughters? What are we doing about that? I mean, when you're out in public, yes, you're a Christian, but are you a jerk to others because you had to wait a little, a little longer in line at, at Walmart? Are you a jerk to the cashier? Or are you, are you giving them blessings? How are you treating others that you don't know? Because that is going to have a huge impact on the state of our country, of our community. Are we Jesus to those that don't know us? And if you met someone and you had a conversation with them, would they know that you were a Christian? And if they don't, shame on you. Shame on me because I've, I've been that jerk before. Believe me. And my wife is the first one to point it out to me. And man, it, it, it breaks my heart when it's brought to my attention when I see how I've how I've let God down to those opportunities when I could have possibly ministered to someone. Um, third little area here in, in mourning for others is, um, is mourning the, the genocide of nations. And I, I know we, we, we live here in the United States. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to travel abroad, to go to other countries, to see third world countries and what happens in some of these places in these developing nations, but it, it can be incredibly brutal. Um, for example, in, in Rwanda, in a 100-day in a period, there were over 500,000 people who were murdered in, in, uh, in ethnic cleansings. 500,000 people murdered. Not, they didn't die of old age. They were brutally slaughtered in a 100-day period. Um, in, in Sudan, 480,000 people um, had been brutally murdered since 2003, and you have over 2.8 million people who were displaced from their homes, who have no place to live. They're, they're living out of tents. These are the things that, as a Christian, that it, should, it should cause us to mourn. It, it, it should cause brokenness in our hearts because what is happening in our world. And we should be looking at ourselves to see, man, what can we do? I mean, you might not be able to go over there as a missionary and, and, and build homes, but, but you can help. You can support. There are things that we can do to help aid, to help this, to, to spread the gospel to some of these areas. Um, finally, the, uh, the, the last part here in mourning for others is mourning the injustice of this world. Uh, this is something that should bring sorrow and heartbreak to us as Christians. Um, first, just looking at the poverty that is in this world. I know living in the valley... Um, Hidalgo County is, if I'm not mistaken, it is the most impoverished county in the entire country. Um, but driving around, sometimes you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think it was that bad. Um, according to, uh, to UNICEF, there are 22,000 children who die every year due to poverty. Um, and half of the world's population of children, about one billion children, currently live in poverty. Live in true poverty poverty. Um, I, when growing up, I remember seeing the, the Sally Struthers commercials. I don't know if you guys remember that. And I used to kind of think it was a joke. But, uh, but now, when I see or hear something like that, man, it breaks my heart. Uh, when I think of the, just the, the overflow of abundance that we have here in our country, and we are very blessed. 
but when you think about what others are going through, how they could live on a dollar a day, a dollar a day would make the biggest difference for them in the world. And so it breaks my heart. Um, You have about 1.4 million, and this is just children, children that die every year from a lack of safe drinking water. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible, the, the, the injustice that is, that is in our world. Um, here, also with the injustices of, injustices of our world, um, the lack of available medical care. About half of the population of the world doesn't have medical facilities, facilities available. They don't have access to vaccines. Um, 2.2 million children every year die, or people, I should say, every year die, um, because they don't have access to vaccinations that, um, that, that, that would prevent very, very curable diseases and just basic, basic needs that I, I think we take for, for granted. When you think about this, it should cause sorrow. It should cause heartbreak. It should cause that moment of silence where you're like, wow, I, maybe I didn't really think about that. Maybe I haven't thought past Xbox Live and what I'm going to be doing later today. And I know I'm guilty of that too. Um, um, finally, here in the injustices of the world, um, Christian persecution. There's approximately 215 million Christians that experience high, very high, or extreme persecution on, on a daily basis in their lives. And that's according to Christianity Today. Um, Holy Say, who is a, a, report, a Christian reporting agency, um, they're, they're tied mostly to the Catholic Church, but they do some pretty good informa- um, They do some a pretty good job of gathering information. Um, they report that over one hundred thousand Christians are violently murdered every single year. Hundred thousand people violently murdered every single year. Christians. Um, approximately eighty percent of the two hundred fifteen million Christians that are persecuted live in Islamic-dominated nations. Um, it's outlawed over there. You cannot be a Christian in in these nations, and if you are, then you can be put to death. So these are this this hundred thousand people that are dying every year. They're martyrs. They are martyrs for Christ. They are dying for their faith every year. And and I know a lot of us wake up in the morning and maybe we were out too late the night before and we're debating on whether or not we're going to go to church or we complain at church because the coffee's not good or you know this wasn't there that wasn't there I mean we need to we need to really think about what we have and how blessed we are and and that there are there are those out there who would who would just give give anything to have a fraction of what we do so Christian today be thankful for what you have be grateful for what you have because there is true injustice in this world um and, and, and as Christians, our heart should break for it. It should cause us to weep. And as a matter of fact, Jesus, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, he wept on two occasions in his ministry. And both times, it was him mourning for others. Um, the first time was he, he, he mourned and he wept over Jerusalem and the hardened heart of the people who had rejected him. In, in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verses 37 through 39, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm not going to read it, but just in case you want a reference for your notes, Matthew 23, 37 to 39, um, Jesus called Jerusalem the city that kills prophets and stones those sent to it. That's what he had to say about Jerusalem. 
And he was mourning for Jerusalem because he loved the people and their hearts were hardened towards him. They had rejected him and they they had rejected prophets that had come before him. And so he was mourning for the state of the people, mourning for their sin state. The second occasion when, when Jesus when Jesus wept and mourned, um, was, was at the grave of his friend Lazarus. So Lazarus has died. Lazarus was his buddy. Was he crying over the death of Lazarus? No, because he was planning to resurrect him. He was gonna pull him right out of the grave. He was crying for the state of the people that were there. He could see just how completely devastated they were at this death. And so Jesus saw firsthand, first what, what sin causes, that sin causes death, sin brought death into the world, and that he was mourning their, their unbelief because Lazarus knew who Jesus was. Lazarus had faith in Jesus, so Lazarus was all right. He was being taken care of, but his family couldn't see past it, and they were just completely broken, and so it caused Jesus to be broken as well at that time. So, so Jesus mourned twice, and on both of those occasions, he was, he was mourning he was mourning for others. So we have the loss of loved ones, the sin state of the world, and injustices of the world. All of these things Christians should cause us to mourn. Now that was that, that first type of mourning that we talked about. But here in this, in this beatitude in 5.4, what I really believe Jesus was pushing at was mourning for our sin. So this is gonna be the second part. Mourning for our sin. So sin, regardless of its size, separates us from God. It it doesn't matter what your sin is, how big, how small, it separates you from God. Now the and so this this type of sin, the the primary type of mourning referred to by Jesus here in verse four is for the individual and their own spiritual condition. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief, Christian, godly grief being broken over our sin, and that leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Um, I remember the first time, really in my adult life, that, um, that I was broken. I remember when it happened. It was, um, it was in 2005. It was um, at a Calvary Chapel men's retreat, and it was at Camp Zephyr. I don't know if you guys know where Camp Zephyr is. That's where we take the, the youth for, for summer camp. But during the off season, they also, um, they also let other, other churches use it. And so we went over there for a men's retreat. And so this is the first men's retreat I'd ever gone to. Um, now, my mom has taught me who Jesus was from the time I was a child. I have always known who Jesus was. I've always known he was my Lord. He was my Savior. I knew that he was God. I knew all these things. But my life was not submitted to him. So you can have that head knowledge of who Christ is. So the demons hear his name and they tremble. They know who Jesus is. Satan's been to the throne room, but he's still gonna go to hell. So I knew who Jesus was. I had a great understanding of exactly who he was, but I was not living a life submitted to him, which is the key here. So at this men's retreat, 
Um, I got to hear some phenomenal pastors preach. I, I got to hear some, some great words. And then I remember, um, I think it was the evening of the second night, during, during worship, I just broke, completely broke, just a, just a sobbing mess of a man. And, uh, and I, I, I realized, I saw my sin. I, I just came to terms with what I was doing. I asked Christ to forgive me for my sin, to come into my heart, to change me, to, to do a work in me. And when I came home, I, I dealt with that sin. So at that time, these sins had me in chains. And when I came to Christ and I mourned for my sin, my chains were broken. And I was set free. And he delivered me out of that. Um, some of the, the, the sins that I was struggling with at that time, I mean, I was abusing alcohol. Um, I, it, like many men, I, I, had, I had an addiction to pornography, and, and, I was, and I was in sexual sin at that time as well. And so all of those things that were going on in my life as a, as a young man in his 20s had to change. And it's, I got home, and, and those things no longer had a hold of me, and I gave them to Christ. And all of those things that I knew would cause me to sin or pull me back into those areas, I completely pushed away. Um, I, I gave up alcohol for probably three years. I don't think I touched a drop for, in that time. And I'm not saying that you have to. It, it, you, know, you can look at it biblically. It's not something you have to push out of your life. But if it has a hold on you, if it's pulling you to sin, then yes, Christian, push it out of your life. And at that time, that's where I was, and so that was something that I had to do. Um, all these things that were pulling me to sin, uh, the, the relationship I was in with my girlfriend, I had to change that. I had to change everything. Um, I, 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 pushed, I pushed that aside. Um, I, I changed my computer. I got rid of a lot of things that were on my computer. I, I completely got rid of all these things that I knew were pulling me to sin, but Christ had redeemed me. Christ had broken that, that hold that sin had on me, and, and at that time, I was broken, and I felt that brokenness. And so that was that was when I had that moment. And so that's kind of part of my, my story, my testimony. Um, let's look at a couple of the biblical patriarchs here and, and kind of see when, when, they had, when they had those moments when they were mourning for their sin. Um, the first one here, it, it's my favorite. He's my favorite uh, apostle by far and just because he's someone that I can relate to very well. And so that's, that's Peter. So Peter's pride and his, and his denial of Jesus. So w- when, when all this happens, the Last Supper has already occurred. The, uh, the, the apostles have, have left. They, they've, they've gone to the Mount of Olives. Um, Jesus has gone into the garden to pray, and he comes back, and he starts telling his disciples that, um, that he's going to be taken and that they are all going to scatter, and he's letting them know what's going to happen and, and why it's going to happen. And so as he's, he's telling them this has to happen so that prophecy can be fulfilled, and so as he's saying this, Peter comes out, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, Lord, hang on. <laughs> Um, and and I'm, I'm going to read this here from Matthew 26, 33 to 34. So Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter, he's like, Jesus, I don't know about these other guys over here, but... No matter what happens, I'm with you. I've got you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. Peter was puffed up in his pride at that moment, and Jesus had to set him straight. 
Then as we go on um, and we continue on in Matthew 26, verses uh, 74 to 75, um, Jesus has already been taken. He's been, uh, he's, he's been brought down. He's been, he's been charged. And Peter's kind of following, but he's staying in the shadows. And then someone sees him. They're like, hey, I know you. You follow Jesus. He says, no, 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 I don't. Someone else comes up to him. Hey, I know you. You're with him. You're, you're one of his. No, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. And then finally here in verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now this verse has always stuck with me and it's because of that last word there, bitterly. Uh, the Greek word for bitter here is pikros, which, uh, which means poignant grief. It could also be said as Peter wept violently. So when you think about this weeping, now, now remember who Peter was. I mean, he, he was this large, burly man, just a burly, bearded, tough guy. When you, when you think about it, he was a fisherman. Fishermen were the tough guys of that age. They had incredibly labor-intensive jobs. Um, if you shook his hand, you knew that you were shaking the hand of someone who was like a lumberjack. Just kind of imagine that. That's Peter. Now you have Peter weeping bitterly. You have just tears streaming down, just tears and snot and saliva. I mean, he is ugly crying, if you want to think about that. When was the last time you ugly cried? I mean, it happens, right? All of us do this. So this is Peter. He is ugly crying, just completely devastated, broken because of his sin. This bitter mourning is something that we as Christians should have. Um, I think it's something that we should have when the Spirit tells us to share the gospel with someone, and we don't. We have that lost gospel opportunity. So Peter was broken at that time, completely, utterly, devastatingly broken. Next patriarch we can look at is Moses. So Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. How many of you guys know why? What happened? What did he do? What was it that he did wrong that God forbade him to enter the promised land? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, I'm just gonna, this is God's response to him. So God says, okay, and, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So, rewind a little bit just so we can see what was happening here. Um, Moses, he's been a, a, a faithful servant of the Lord for 40 years. They've, they've been in the desert. They've been going around and around the mountain. Um, and he drops the ball at the finish line because he is frustrated with his flock. So what happens is that the people are coming to Moses saying that, we are, that we're thirsty, that there's no water for us to drink, there's nothing for us to, to water our livestock with. And this is the second time that this has happened, at least this is the second recorded time that this has happened. The first time the people said this, Moses went to God, God told them, take your, your staff. Remember how powerful that staff was, what happened with that staff? He said, go to this rock and you're gonna strike it, water is gonna come out. Now this is important. He went to that rock that first time and struck it. Water came out. This second time when, these people, when, when the people are coming to him, when the flock is coming to him, that they are thirsty, that they have no water, 
Moses does the right thing. He goes to God, asks God what he needs to do. And God tells him, you're gonna take your staff, you're gonna take the people over to this rock, and you are going to ask the rock to bring forth water. So that was God's command, ask the rock to bring forth water. And so what does Moses do? He's frustrated. So he gets a staff, he goes out to where the rock is, takes the people, and he strikes that rock. Now, Moses has been carrying around the staff for 40 years, so he was probably a ninja with it, and he probably beat the heck out of that rock because he was so frustrated at God's people. And you know what happened? Water still came out. But afterwards, God called him into his office and said, okay, Moses, we're going to talk. And what, what happened, essentially, what Moses' sin was, was first, he, he misrepresented God to the people. And, and when you really kind of dig into this, the, the rock was a pre-manifestation of Christ. So that very first time, that rock is bringing forth water, it's springing forth water, that rock had to be struck. That's Christ being crucified. The second time, with this rock bringing forth water, you just had to ask. So Christ had to be crucified for that, that life-giving water to come forward. Now all we have to do is ask. And the people were about to go into the promised land, and so God wanted to show them that when you have a need, ask me. Just ask me. God had a plan with this, and Moses screwed it up. And so that's, and, but God knew that was going to happen. He was still going to use it as, a, as, a, as an opportunity, but that's where Moses' sin happened. That's, and then also, after that happened, he said, hey, look what Aaron and I did for you guys. He didn't give glory to God for the water coming out, and God had to deal with them about it. Now, his brokenness is shown in Deuteronomy um, chapter 3, verses 23 to 26. It's not going to be up there. I'll just kind of summarize poorly. Um, what happened there, but essentially what happened is, is it shows Moses pleading with God to enter the promised land, and then God tells him not to bring it up again, which shows that this had been an ongoing conversation. Moses pleading with God, broken with God, because when you think about it, he had spent 40 years with these people, 40 years in the desert, 40 years being faithful to God just to get them to the promised land, and when they're right there on the verge, he's told no that you cannot enter. And I promise you, that broke Moses. And it shows here in in Deuteronomy. Um, Final patriarch I want to look at here is Job. So I'm I'm sure you guys have read it. That is an incredible book. It's 45 chapters. It's really long. There's a lot going on in there. Um, But Job um, was allowed to lose everything. And why was he allowed to lose everything? Well, um, he... He could not find his own fault through pride. So I'm going to read Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job is finally, truly broken. Um, But what really brought upon that brokenness, if you've read the story of Job, you know what happened that 
In the beginning, it's essentially a conversation between God and Satan, and God is very proud of Job, and God knows that Job will not curse him, that Job will not turn against him, um, but he allows Satan to touch him. And so God had a plan here, and God is using Satan to bring out a change in Job because there was one thing that Job had going on, and that was pride. And so God allowed Satan to touch him. God allowed Satan to to get to kill all of his fam to kill his family to take his his wealth his possessions everything that he had um, he took his health and here towards the end of the cha- at the end of the book he's he's almost taken his sanity so Job has just about lost it um, but Job is finally able to see what he had done after uh, a young man named Elihu comes forward and Elihu he first rebukes the three friends of Job and then he rebukes Job and what he does is he proclaims and reminds them of God's justice so these things that were happening to Job they were happening for a reason so that a change could be brought around but it wasn't until Job was finally broken and look what it took to break him everything he went through if you haven't read that I suggest you go and read that book to see everything he went through till he was finally broken and when he was finally broken, that's when he saw. Now, brokenness must come first. So for us, um, comfort only comes through true repentance and brokenness. The, the road to a restored heart is paved in tears. We rest in the promise that God will comfort those who see, um, will comfort those who see their own unworthiness before him. So this brokenness is essential. When we look at, when we look at the verse, when we look at, at Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Before we can have that comfort, we have to mourn. So we, we've seen some really good examples here of, of some of these guys who, who have mourned, but now is the time for comfort. And that comfort can only come when true repentance and brokenness has happened. So if we look at Peter, where was Peter's comfort? Where did Peter get comforted? Um, in John 21, 15 through 17, Peter is restored by Jesus. So, so what's happening there? Christ is, already, Christ is resurrected. Christ is, is walking along the shore by the sea. Um, Peter and some of the other apostles are out fishing, and they spot Jesus from their boat. And Peter sees him. He dives in the water. He, like, heads to shore. Um, the, Jesus tells them to, where to cast the net. They catch all kinds of fish. They all come to shore, and they all sit, and they're having breakfast with the Lord. And so as they're sitting there at the sea, kind of around the fire, Jesus starts talking to Peter, and he tells him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then tend my sheep. And then Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks him a third time, and I think he really probably hurt Peter's feelings when he asked him the third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And he tells him again to feed his sheep. So Jesus asked him three times whether or not he loved him. Peter was able to affirm three times the love that he had for Christ. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. So that was Peter being comforted. And then Jesus tells him, follow me. So Jesus is restoring Peter. He's bringing him up into him. He's comforting him. And then he's telling him, follow me. 
And Peter did, faithfully until his death. He followed Christ, but it took that brokenness to get rid of his pride, for him to see his sin, and then Christ restored him. Moses, Moses was able to see the promised land. He wasn't able to enter it. In Deuteronomy um, chapter 34, God takes Moses up to the mountain, and he shows him the land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He shows him the land that was promised to them, their inheritance, and he's able to see it. He's able to go up there and see it with God in his own eyes. And then God took him. And then God went out and God buried him. Um, Moses is, is really such an incredible figure because it, it, even in the Bible it says that there was never a prophet like him before or, or since. And Moses had that really close, in-tune relationship with God. And God loved Moses. And, and he took him before his time, but he took him because he, he was not going to allow him to enter the promised land for that sin. And then he took him out and he buried him, but he took him up to heaven with him. So he was taken up into the comfort of the Lord and he got to see what this 40 years of work was for. He got to see the land of milk and honey. Um, finally, Job. How was Job comforted? Well, when Job had this breaking moment and, then, and God comes and God talks to him, God restores Job's family. God restores Job's fortune and he restored it many times over Job had more children than he'd had before. He had more possessions, more wealth than he had before. And he lived another 120 years after this happened. So God blessed him with long life. God restored him after his brokenness. Important that we first find comfort, Christian, in a deliverance from sin's penalty through Christ's completed work on the cross. So, we, so that, that comfort that we'll find, we need to, to know that we have that comfort because we are free from sin's penalty through Christ's work on the cross. There's no worldly comfort out there that, compare, that can compare to the comfort given to man by God. We have that comfort because we know that we are redeemed. We know that we are saved because of Christ's work on the cross. Um, as Christians, we have deliverance from the power of sin through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Sin will always be present with us, but we are not defeated by it. First um, John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go to the Father and ask for forgiveness. But to really ask for forgiveness, you have to be broken for your sin. So I'm just going to ask you, Christian, what sin is in your life that is keeping you from the Father? What area in your life are you unwilling to give up? Something you think you can't do without or it's just too hard to walk away from. Whatever that sin is, it is causing separation from the Father. It is keeping you from God. And you have to be broken for that sin. Broken before you can have comfort in Christ. And once you are broken, once you give that to Christ, and you, 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 just, you, you repent of that sin, you turn from that sin, that's when we'll have that comfort. 
Just the final thoughts that, that I'd like to leave you with. Um, we must understand that we are not all right. Our sin rots our very soul. It's not until we are truly broken inside that we can be led to the joy and comfort found only in Christ Jesus. Join me in prayer. Father God, Lord, we just, we love you. God, we just come before you right now. Um, Lord, anytime we, we have to, to talk about dealing with our sin, Lord, it's an uncomfortable topic. It's a topic that's gonna make us squirm in our seats because no one wants to be called out for their sin. No one wants that sin revealed in, to, to others or in public. And so, Father God, I pray right now that you would just touch the hearts of everyone out here, that, that you, would, you would give them the wisdom to know that once sin is confessed, once sin is brought out into the light, it holds no power over you. So, Father, I pray that you would just fill everyone here with your spirit, that you would give them the courage to to confess and to repent for sin, to be truly broken for their sin, and to turn to you, to know that, that salvation is found only through you, Jesus, and your completed work on the cross. Father, during this time, as we, as we move into a time of tithes and offerings, God, this is a time when we give you our stuff, when we want to be obedient to what you've asked, Lord, we know that everything that we have is yours already. And so, Father, this is just us. Just, we, we know that you don't need it, Lord, but this is us being obedient and showing, God, we trust you with what you've given us. Here's some of it back. It's just an act of obedience. So, so God, I, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would bless these offerings. God, I pray that you would bless all of the families that, that give, God, and, and, and Father, I, I pray that you would just work on the hearts of those who, who haven't gotten to that point. God, I, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that you would minister to them and that, uh, and that they would know it's just an act of obedience towards you and it's something that we are told, and that we are commanded by you. So Lord, I, I, I lift up these offerings. God, I pray that, 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 they would, uh, that they would go out, that we would be able to, to glorify you, that we would be able to spread your gospel and God, that we'd be able to help heal some of these social injustices that are so prevalent in our world, God, through this giving. Um, Jesus, we just love you and thank you and praise you. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.